and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible studies here at Celebration Church. Good to have everybody back with us again. And uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off now that our summer is supposedly coming to an end. Actually, weather-wise around here, it's just now showing up. <laughs> it's a little slow, kind of miss its timetable. But anyway, it is what it is. We are going through, uh, on Wednesday nights, what we do is we go through the entire Bible, one verse at a time, and really kind of break into it, look closely at it, see what it's all about, so that we can put it all in context and understand it. Okay, most messages that you hear on Sunday morning in churches tend to be topical. In other words, they'll take a topic and they'll jump around and show you all the different things about it. It's usually what I do on a Sunday morning. Uh, but then on Wednesday nights, we do this one verse at a time. Some churches actually do it one verse at a time, even on Sunday mornings. Uh, we have in the past. But generally, it's a little bit different than what we do on tonight. So we are going through the New Testament. <clears throat> we started with the book of Acts, actually. And we followed the development of the Christian church from its inception. And particularly, what the book of Acts does is it focuses on the apostle Paul, who his headquarters is here in Antioch. And from here, it's, in Antioch as a Christian, he does these three big missionary journeys that just explode Christianity throughout the known world. Overwhelmingly, it is uh, with Gentile believers. In other words, not Jewish believers. Most of the Jewish believers stuck around here in Jerusalem, <laughs> hanging down here. And uh, so he felt like God had called him to the Gentiles. So that's where he went. He got a lot of static from the Jewish Christians. In the beginning, as I've told you many times during the study, in the beginning, all Christians were Jews. In fact, they didn't even think you could become a Christian if you weren't a Jew first. That's really, I mean, Christianity was just another sect, if you will, kind of like you have Baptists and Presbyterians, you know, there were Christians. It was a Jewish sect, is what it was considered, because they were all Jews, they still obeyed the Jewish laws and the laws of Moses and everything else, but they accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, when... They started preaching this uh, even around Jerusalem. They got some static from the, the head guys because they didn't like them. But by and large, they didn't get into much trouble with other Jews when they were preaching about Jesus. What ticked them off is when they started saying that non-Jews could come to God. That made the Jews really mad. And some of Paul's greatest persecutors came uh, from what they, they called them Judaizers, these people who were really into it. And oftentimes, Paul would go and he'd preach about this freedom that we have in Christ, um, talking about how we're set free from sin. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, see, but now we're alive in Christ. So that was the good news. Now we can come to Christ and through faith in him, uh, in uh, Romans, in faith alone, he says. I mean, it's, it's not about you trying to earn your way to God. You can't do it. It's not about obeying all the rules of the Old Testament. He says it's not about that. It's about faith. All men are justified by faith. And so he starts doing this, and that's when it really ticked off people who wanted these new believers to become Jews. And one of the biggest arguments in the early church was, you know, a lot of guys were thinking, well, it's okay. They can come in, people like you and me, unless you're Jewish. You know, we're Gentiles. There's Jews and there's everybody else. We're in the everybody else category. And uh, they thought if we wanted to come to God and become a Christian, that's okay, but then we have to become Jews. 
and they insisted that the men would be, become circumcised and fi- start following all the rules. Those are all the references to circumcision in the New Testament. It's not just about just the physical act of circumcision, although that was definitely a part of it. It was about becoming Jewish and converting to Judaism, and then you could be a Christian. Well, finally, the church rules that's not the way it is, okay? We come to God by faith, and you don't have to do this. Cause all kinds of trouble. And as I said, lots of persecution came from the Jews towards Paul and his work. A lot of times, he, Paul would come into an area, preach the gospel, and all these people would, you know, who had been pagans and never heard this idea that you could be saved or you could connect with God just like that by faith. You know, they were pagans. They had to work their way to God just like everybody else and go through the rituals and offer sacrifices and do God knows what all these different religions required. And then Christianity comes along and says, look, you don't have to work to get to God. God is working to get to you. And he's done this with his son, Jesus, dies on the cross. Now, whoever believes in him can be saved. And then they'd come in and they'd say, really? And then Paul and all these people, wherever these Christians went, they'd start praying for people. And unlike all the other prayers that were offered up to these pagan gods, these prayers started getting answered. And it just freaked people out. And they, so they started converting like crazy. So he'd come through and he'd have a big, you know, uh, successful area. And then after he leaves, then the Judaizers would come in after him <laughs> and try and convince them that what you need to do is become Jewish. And it really confused them. So a lot, we've already talked about it, some of Paul's earliest writings, Galatians and stuff. He just writes and argues with them intensely about this, this issue and basically points out that really the truth is even our father, as Jews, their father Abraham was justified by faith. The Bible says he believed God when God made him these promises and then and he was justified by that. So what Paul says, look, even though all these l- rules came with Moses, you know, 450 years after Abraham, the truth is from the beginning, it's always been about faith. The law was to keep us in line so we didn't get all crazy like all the pagan countries around us. And despite the law, they still got all crazy and did all kinds of insane things that just, you can't even begin to get your head around. Uh, Finally, they kind of pull it together, and in the fullness of time, as the Bible says, Jesus comes, he's the Messiah, and now the gospel spreads, and now they get mad because they don't think these people should be able to just know God by faith, they need to do all the rules. All right, so there's this schism, there's this fighting, if you will, between Uh, the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians. And in virtually all of Paul's writings, at some level, he tends to address the issue one way or the other. He loved that he was a Jew. He respected the Jews. He still, best as I could tell, followed Jewish rules and regulations and stuff like that, but uh, encouraged the non-Jews that they didn't have to do all that. And uh, again, all this debate was going on. So now, we left off at chapter 2, verse 10, uh, uh, back in... May or whatever it was. So now we're going to pick it up. Now we're picking up in verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Now he's writing to the Ephesian church. Here's Ephesus. He had spent a lot of time in Ephesus, had been there through two journeys, and had a lot of friends, had done a lot of work about them. So he writes this book. Now at the time he's writing this, remember, he has gotten his butt hauled all the way to Rome. He's in prison. And that's when he starts writing these letters. These are my favorite uh, epistles in the Bible. Because at this point, you know, there's not so much argument anymore about the whole Judaism thing and all these Old Testament references that make your head spin around. We'll get to that when we get to Hebrews. Because <laughs> that's all full of that stuff. Blah, you know. Now it's just basic Christianity. And um, a lot of these letters, like for example, Ephesians, and, and there's some other ones, 
the first half of the letter is all about theology. And then the second half of the letter is all about practical Christian living. In Ephesians, it's literally 50%. The first three chapters in Ephesians are about theology. And then we get into chapter four, and boom, chapters four, five, six are all about practical Christian living. I tend to focus on the practical Christian living. I get the theology and stuff. I just don't get all crazy. A lot of people just get crazy about theology. They want to spend all their time asking these deep, dark theological questions, you know, and, you know, to what end? I don't understand. There, there are people who just like to tickle their brains with questions. They, like, they don't like my ministry, per se, because I'm a little bit too practical down to earth. They want to hear deep theological thoughts and references. And, and I always say, what's the point? The point, he always started with theology, but they ended up with practical Christian living. If, if you can't become a better person as a result of what you learn, what's the point? Just so you can be smarter? Well, I understand what the different tabernacles meant in the Old Testament. I understand the presence. Who cares? You know, they ask me all these deep theological questions. I said, man, you guys just give me a headache. Seriously, I'll be with pastors. They'll start talking about this stuff. And I literally say, you guys give me a headache. I'm just trying to get people to quit masturbating for the love of God. You know, I just <laughs> do the right thing. Care about each other. You're shocked. That's the way I talk to these people. And of course, they, they look at me like this, you know. So they understand some deep theology, but they still can't stand their wives. What's the point? Right? You get all this theology. You ignore your children. What's the point? So I try to focus more on the practical, although this part of it is, of course, important, but only in the context of helping me live out my faith to become a better man. All right? Thank you for that overwhelming amen. All right. So here we go. Now, he's picking up his theology again, and right away he goes into this rift about the Jews and the Gentiles. Like I said, almost all of a at some point he hits on a piece of it, uh, and he certainly does here. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who were are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done with, in the body with human hands. All right. Remember that, uh, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. This is where things stood. All the promises of God's blessing and everything came to the Jews first. That's where it came. And he's saying, you guys who weren't part of the Jewish culture, you weren't ever part of that. And you, you were separated from God because we had all the promises. Although the main promise in the beginning is he told Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Now in their mind, they thought, well, that just means because we're around. <laughs> They're blessed because we're here. But that's not what he meant. He meant that they would all come into the knowledge and fullness of God, which was God's plan all along. It's something that Paul will be talking about here in just a minute. So this is the status. We, all, there were the, all the promises, the prophets, all the things that you read in the big fat part of your Bible. All this stuff comes uh, to the Jewish nation. Uh, we're excluded. But now, he says in verse 13, in Christ you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and non-Jews, into one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his command and regulations. 
So he's basically saying on, on the cross, Christ settled all this stuff with all these rules and regulations. Paul argued intensely, that's not how we need to live. I say, thank God. <laughs> Just have a hard enough time being patient. <laughs> Following all these gazillion rules about how to cook chickens and goats and, you know, oh man, all the rules, crazy stuff. Anyway, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. See, and that fulfills the promise. Uh, through your seed, Abraham, through your seed, talking about the Messiah, all the nations of the world would be blessed. They could all come to God, reconciled to God. God in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Okay, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and all this stuff, okay, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right, so now, Paul talks about this hostility that is eliminated and the two become one and yada, 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 yada. The question you have to ask is, what is he talking about? (laughs) Because when did that happen? It happened, God made it possible in Christ, but when have these two truly been joined together? I would say he's speaking prophetically, yet these, are yet these things will yet happen. According to the book of Revelation and everything at the end, they will all come to Christ and we will all just be one gigantic uh, faith community. But right now, even to this day, there's still a fair amount of hostility between Jews and non-Jews, between Jews and Christians. Now, many Christians have gone way out of their way, thank God, over the last several decades to be very kind and favorable to the Jews a lot of money raised to help Israel comes from Christians here in America. Uh, we've done a great deal to let them know that we love them and we thank God for them and all that kind of stuff. But this idea of this now, you know, we're all together singing Kumbaya. When has this happened? Now, I, I just saw this. Uh, any of you guys see that documentary last night on PBS about Martin Luther? Anybody see it? I see it was a big hit. Anyway, so I watched it. <laughs> You were watching Gilligan Island reruns, but I'm watching spiritual things, all right? So anyway, fabulous, fabulous thing. Martin Luther, of course, is the uh, reformer 500 years ago. He was a, a, a Catholic monk who was trying desperately to try and get his heart and life right with God. He kept trying to follow all the rules. He was, what happened was at some point, Christianity became very much like Judaism. The rules, the regulations, the sacraments, the this, the that, the other, la, 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 la. And Luther is just torn up with guilt because he can't understand how God, how do I fix my sins? And of course, they just taught, you know, if you do this and you do that. And, but he, he knew it wasn't working for him. One of the funny things in the documentary, uh, it says Luther used to go to confession and he would try to remember every conceivable possible sin he had ever committed since his last confession. And his confessions oftentimes would be like an hour and a half long. And I got to the point, no priest wanted to hear his confessions. <laughs> I ain't talking to him, man. You guys talk to him, you know. One guy finally told him, look, when you can simplify this, come and see me. I don't want to hear every little tiny thing. 
And, uh, but he was distraught. How do you, how can you possibly be saved by all this? So he goes through this big traumatic thing. And at some point, it hits him. It does him. Particularly when he's reading Paul's letter to the Romans that we went through. And in there is when he starts to explain that this whole thing of salvation is done by the grace of God through faith. It is by faith that we are justified. Not about following all the rules and regulations. Not that necessarily some of those are bad per se, but it's not about that, okay? And he's the one that really challenged this idea that we are saved by faith. That's what the scriptures say. You can't earn your way to God. He talks about how it was all done on the cross. Jesus fulfilled everything. It was great watching it because, and I don't know that these people were Christians that produced this thing, but man, just quoting all his quotes, they are preaching the gospel to everybody who's watching PBS. I mean, it is a big time how this all works, how God does this to them. I was reading today, it's pretty funny. They didn't talk about it or show it in the documentary, thank God. But they said he got this revelation when he was sitting on the toilet. But anyway, so all of a sudden, I get it. Whoa, dude, you know. So he is so excited and he goes everywhere and he starts proclaiming this. Uh, originally, the church didn't really care. They didn't mind. You know, people had different views of this, that, and the other. It's a big church, big Holy Roman Empire at the time. Uh, but what really ticked them off is... Uh, at the time, Rome was trying to raise money for St. Peter's Basilica, the big yo mama. If you've ever been there, it's something else, man. I've been there many times. <laughs> you've been there many times, right? Oh, yeah, we used to go there. <laughs> Wait till you see this place. Holy cow. Anyway, this, it costs a fortune. And they were trying to raise money for it. So what they did is they started selling indulgences. So on, and what an indulgence was this. If you, you know, buy, I'll give you this piece of paper that says your sins are forgiven. So if I'll sell it to you for 100 bucks, and if you buy this, then your sins will all be forgiven, and you don't have to worry about what you didn't confess. Well, to this very impressionable group of peasants in the Middle Ages, well, great! So they started coughing up all this money, money they didn't really have. They took their last money, uh, and, selling, and Luther got really horked, and he preached against this in the most intensive ways. You start hitting people in the pocketbook, now you got their attention! And that's when he started really getting under pressure from Rome, and they got really angry, and it goes on and on and on and on. Anyway, all that to tell you this. Uh, Luther, at some point in his early writings, had written positively about the Jew Jews because he had read what Paul had written in the Ephesians and was looking for this unifying stuff. For some reason, I don't know what triggered it. Uh, even in the documentary, they say they don't, they don't really know what triggered it. Maybe he's starting to lose it as an old guy. I don't know. Anyway, he writes this scathing. Uh, attack on Jewish people. Uh, and a lot of it was driven because he felt that they were fighting this coming together. We're supposed to be this one with no hostility and stuff, and they never accepted Christ. And, and so he writes this thing, and he's really critical of Jewish people. So it's not his highest. Now, what happens 300 years later, this is all German, okay? This is Germany with a big thing, and everything he wrote was in German, and Luther was like the first rock star of the Middle Ages. He had the best-selling books the world has ever seen. And, he had, and everybody bought these. He didn't get a penny for any of them. The printers loved him. But this is when printing presses first came out. No one had seen anything like this. What's this? A book. Wow. So they're all reading Luther's stuff. And he becomes a rock star. Everybody loves this Luther guy. And that's why the church can't get at him, because all the Germans liked him. So what are you going to do? So, uh, but anyway, he gets really, really mad. So this goes down in history as one of these attacks from Lutherans against Jews 
because of his frustration that what we just read has, seems to yet have to happen. The sad thing is 300 years later, a young psychopath by the name of Adolf writes a book called Mein Kampf. And guess who he quotes in Mein Kampf to justify his view of the Jews? Martin Luther. Now, Lutherans to this day are mortified by that. And in their defense, and they're probably right, there's no way Martin Luther was really, he was an intense guy. He was in people's face all the time. He would joyfully insult people. I like him. <laughs> if there's any man in the history of the church that I am anything close to, it's Martin Luther. And he would do it in really hilarious fashion. And he was really pretty crude. He's a lot cruder than I. You think I am crude. Holy cow, read this guy. He was intense. I find him highly entertaining. And, uh, and he didn't put up with crap from anybody. You know, he's this real controversial guy. And the religious people couldn't stand him, but the regular people loved him. You know, which is pretty true in my life as well. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, you know, there's no, and he was a kind man and, and really taught that, you know, because they said, well, if, if you're saved, then that means we don't have to do anything. He said, no, no, no. Now that we're saved, now we need to take this grace and show it in kindness to our fellow man and love people and be kind to people and help us. So that's, that was his thing. No way would Luther have approved of the gassing of six million Jews, all right? Was he critical of the Jews? He was, for whatever reason, again, because they were still separate from Christianity. He felt, what set him off? I don't know. I know that it was later in life. Apparently, people have been known to lose it later in life. And say things they shouldn't say. I don't know. All I'm just saying, that's what triggered this in him. And uh, so that's kind of a black mark on Luther. Other than that, well, he's got a couple of other black marks too, but... Uh, We'll talk more about him in a second. All right, so anyway, so here we go. Now, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Remember, uh, Jesus appears to Paul. You know, most of us have not had that. If any of you have, let me know. But I mean, it's not like he heard this from other people. Jesus himself Boom, appears to Paul, knocks a snot out of him, gets his attention. Paul becomes a Christian. He goes to pray, seek God for years, and Jesus is revealing all these things to him. So he gets this all by personal revelation. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Now, that's interesting, because he alludes to a writing to Ephesians before we get to this letter. Uh, he does this also with the uh, Corinthians. As far as we can tell, there's at least one letter, maybe two letters to the Corinthians that we have no record of. So we got another thing. So not all of the writings uh, were preserved for one reason or another. I have no idea why. Uh, if anything, it just shows you how much God wanted the ones that we have there for us to learn from. Okay? So in reading this, then, you will be able to understand this new letter that we're reading, that my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit, of God's, to, spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, what mystery? Is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. So he's still talking about the sense that we are supposed to be together. Members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now in all fairness, there were still a lot of Christian Jews at this time and non-Jews 
Uh, so anyway, he says, this is the mystery. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. Anybody know why he felt he was the least of all? It was because he persecuted the church. He took Christians and imprisoned them and uh, approved of their murder and stuff like that. So, you know, it would be like, I know this sounds extreme, but it'd be like if Osama bin Laden had become an apostle. <laughs> well, there's a radical change, <laughs> you know, uh, and all the stuff that he had done and stuff, you know, and uh, that was kind of the thing. And, for, and, and in fact, the early Christians were scared to death of Paul when he was first an apostle because he was the Osama of the day for Christians. I mean, he was wreaking havoc on them. And all of a sudden, he's claiming to be, they thought it was a trap. Well, by now, clearly, it's been no trap. And he suffered a great deal uh, to uh, bring the gospel to these people. Okay, so, uh, even though I'm the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's he talking about? I don't know. All right. Is he talking about angels? Is he talking about demons? All I know is that in the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, they're all seeing. I could go into a really long explanation of why I think that is, but I'll skip it for right now. But the, po- the point is there's stuff going on that we don't really know and understand, you know. And even Paul alluded to himself that he had been taken up in some revelation. Remember that? Into the, what number of heaven was it? The third heaven. I didn't know there were levels of heaven. I thought it was just, the, I hope I get to level one is all I'm worried about, you know. So anyway, he gets to the third level, whatever that is, and he saw things he can't even tell us about. Which I say, why are you telling us this? I hate that. You ever have someone say, I know something, but I can't tell you. You want to smack them. What's the deal? <laughs> Do you remember Harold Bradison, Joe? You remember Harold Bradison? Crazy Harold. Great guy. What a, and, and he was a Lutheran, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Luther. He was a Reformed, Dutch Reformed. Oh, yeah. They came right along with the Lutherans. They were all nuts. Anyway, so anyway. Peace. All right? <laughs> just they tend to be real intense on their doctrine. Just, you know, check your medication. So, uh, but Harold once told me, he says, the Lord told me something about you. But he said, I can't tell you. <laughs> then why are you telling me? I don't understand what that's about anyway. So apparently Paul saw stuff. We don't even know what he saw, what's going on and stuff. I think safe to assume there's things going on we don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I'm having a hard time working on what I know. All right. So I don't get caught up in all this. Well, what are the heavenly realms? See, that's one of these theological things. Who cares? What difference does it make? I don't understand these people. Anyway, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is something that Luther celebrated. This is what started the whole Protestant movement, which brought us, which brings us to people like us today. We are all an outshoot of that deal. Okay? 
where our whole approach to God is that in and through Jesus Christ, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. We don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to crawl as, oh God, thou art holy God. Forgive me for being a rotten pig. And you know, that's not the way we do it. You don't have to come into church and be quiet because God's really ticked off. All right? We sing, we celebrate, all this stuff. Why? And it makes us different from some of the very traditional churches that are still very strict about all these things. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of joy, so they don't show much of it. Uh, but we do this because we can approach God with freedom and confidence, because we get this. We get this because of what Christ has done in our lives. Hallelujah. All right? I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So, I mean, they were kind of bummed. They saw that he was arrested and stuff, and they'd spent all this time with him, and he was having all this great impact. Now he's in jail, and, you know, and it, it, some people could get discouraged. And he was trying to encourage them not to be discouraged. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his riches, his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is his prayer, that we would grow stronger and stronger by the Holy Spirit inside so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is his prayer for us as believers. This power. What power is he talking about? Because sometimes, you know, even as a pastor, you, you get discouraged at times. You think you're talking to people, and it seems like nobody's getting it. <laughs> get frustrated, and things don't go as quickly as you. But then you step back a little bit, and I do this from time to time, and I look at some of you, and I see what God's done in your life. And you're, some of you are just totally different people you were than even a year ago. You know what that is? That's the power of God working in you and changing you. This is something no one else has figured out how to do. So this power... You know, we think power, we think light, bolting lights and, you know, lights of bolt, bolts of lightning. I can't even talk. Bolts of lightning and thunder, that kind of power. The power we're talking about here is this incredible power that changes people. Because really, without that, you can't change people. And I talk about that all the time. I mean, at some level, you can't change people. People are who they are. To, and to a great degree, that's true. I encourage people, don't try to change, force change on people. You want to change somebody? You've got to let God do the work in them and pray for them. I am constantly encouraging wives. Quit trying to fix your husband. <laughs> oh, he needs help. Really? Stop. Okay? At the end of the day, we can't, you're not going to change him. You can cry, bellyache, whine, moan, ah, all day long. You're not going to change anything. The one who can is Christ and the Holy Spirit. So you need to pray. And, you know, it goes a lot slower than you want, I know. Uh, <laughs> but it is what it is, you know. Couldn't get no psycho about it. You know, you married him, suck it up. All right, so <laughs> the one thing that, you know, uh, you know, society knows this. The, the prison system knows this. You can't change people. They try to rehabilitate criminals, and all they do oftentimes is make them worse criminals because they all hang out together with other bad criminals and learn how to be worse than they were when they went in, right? And this thing just cycles over again, but there's one thing that even the prison system understands, faith. Because when people start to experience faith, that does change people. The people who don't get back into the stuff are the people who get saved in prison. The people who take their relationship with God seriously. That changes 
people. He does the impossible, which is change you. Your parents have tried to change you. Everybody tries to change you. Your spouse tries to change you. Sometimes your pastor yells at you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what really makes us work is the power of God by faith, the Holy Spirit. And that's what he wants. And all of it's rooted and grounded in love. The more we walk in the love of God, the more we start to understand that God loves people. And it's stunning how much he loves people. I, I don't understand it. I'd kill half the people if I had one. <laughs> I'm just teasing a little. Anyway, you know, if people are you crazy, right? But despite all of our frustrating behavior, he is passionately crazy in love with us, including me. I'm surprised he hasn't killed me a long time ago. Because if I were God, I would have killed me. I would have went, oh, there's Mark. Oops. You know, oh, sorry. Why doesn't he do that? I'm glad he didn't. But it's because he loves us. And I used to be totally and completely jacked up in so many ways. But I'm a different man than I was 40 years ago. A lot of people, they just get locked into who they are at 16 and they never change. And they try to change and they can't change. The one person who can change you, empower your life, make you into something better, stronger, more loving, kind, patient, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the power that Paul is celebrating. And then he says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us to change us, to make us better, more kind, more patient, more helping others. Okay, that's that power. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Sounds like he ended the letter. Right? I mean, he's got this big doxology at the end, you know. To him that's able, you know, da-da-da-da. Amen. But he's not done. What he's done with is all the heavy theology. Now he picks up on fundamental, basic Christian living. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So now this is the point. All this wonderful theology. God cares about you. God loves you. He saved you. You couldn't earn it. It was through his kindness and grace and how we tapped into all the promises of God because of faith, because he was able to connect us to all these promises and all this wonderful blessing the powerful change of the Spirit of God. Because of that, the whole point is to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, which is what I've tried to emphasize. Because without the change, without adjusting how you live, the theology is not going to do you any good. It'll just make you delusionally smart. All right? Now, he talks about how to be a good Christian. Be completely humble. (laughs) I'm working on that one. And gentle. Be patient. Really? I hate being patient. I just do. I do. Well, pastor, we're supposed to be. What you do? Then be patient. I don't want to be patient. I don't want either. But we can be patient. Yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> I'm still waiting for you to show up and get out of here. You know. <laughs> we can be patient. Bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? People will tick you off. If nobody ticks you off, you're not close to anybody. Seriously. And some of you live your lives away from people as much as you can because you know they all tick you off. But that's not the answer. Your answer isn't to stay away from people because they tick you off. Then you're just artificially 
creating your environment. The truth of the matter, you get close to people, they will do things that will tick you off. What does the Bible say? Bear with them. Bear with them. Why? Because sometimes they're a burden. (laughs) It is what it is. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This whole peace thing is always, I find this interesting. Jesus said, blessed are the peace makers. All right. He doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. See, peaceful people think that the most important thing is just let's not fight. Let's not have any confrontation. Be careful what you say to people. Oh, Pastor Walker, make people upset. That's why I get this on Facebook all the time. These nitwits. What is it with you people? They, just, they can't handle it. Oh, yeah, I can't believe, like today, some guy sent me some stupid email about some ridiculous behavior, and I said, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, these ladies are, oh, you can't say there's something wrong with him because you might hurt his feelings. <laughs> I deleted them. All right. <laughs> and banned them. You want to tick me off? Just tell me to be peaceful. All right? Peacekeepers just try to avoid any kind of conflict and just be understanding. La, 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 la. You know, anyway. Look, peacemakers are people who make peace. Okay? Do you know why there's peace in the world right now? As much peace as there is? Or let's just take the United States of America. Do you know why we're able to live at peace? Because we got a big honking yo mama army with big yo mama honking bombs. You know. So I travel around the world. That's one of the knocks on Americans. You know, why do you Americans always bomb people? Why, why do you Americans always bomb people? I always say, well, first of all, because we can. <laughs> Sucks to be you. Uh, but the reason why Western nations are quick to do this stuff is because they've learned that peace comes through strength. Now, there's peace people who just think it's horrible and what we should do is get rid of all the military and all the army and then we'll all live in peace. You're delusional. You get rid of all that, all hell's going to break loose. All right? We tried this, by the way. Again, a young man named of Adolf, about 75 years ago, started causing all kinds of trouble and the world desperately tried to make peace with him. Oh, let's just get along. Can't we all just get along? If you remember your history, there's pictures of Chamberlain, who was in charge of England at the time. He gets off that airplane and he's waving that document. I signed a peace treaty with Adolf Hitler. You guys remember this stuff, right? Those of you who know your history. Yeah, he promised not to invade Poland and Czechoslovakia. Yeah, how'd that work out? Worst conflict the world has ever seen. We freak out because people get killed in war. 100 people, 200 people, a few thousand. I mean, people just come in glued when after so many years in the Middle East, you know, we had 3,000 soldiers killed. Are you kidding? We'd drop 10,000 in a day in World War II. That was our guys. A hundred million people were killed in World War II. The vast, you can't even get your head around it. A million would be more than you can comprehend. A hundred million dead. That's not counting the ones that are wounded, maimed, blinded, scalded, all the horrible possible combinations. That's just the dead ones. The vast majority of them, civilians. 
That's what came out of let's all just get along. Ever since then, Western countries have been very quick. It always hasn't turned out positively. We've gotten a mess in Vietnam and other things that turned out. But we're very quick to jump on stuff because we know one thing happens and we don't stand up to it, it'll spiral out of control. In fact, I think one of the messes we're having right now, this is my political opinion, you don't agree, don't write me. <laughs> but the whole mess with North Korea and all this stuff is because the last couple of presidents, both Democrats and Republicans, didn't do anything. Well, get along. Oh, well, that'll work out good. How's that working out? We got some cycle over there ready to blow us all the smithereens. We should have learned this lesson. Sometimes we forget, you know, people got short memories. That's why when Russia took the Crimea, everybody was so upset. Crimea on the map is like a pimple. Who cares? Take the UP. What do I care? <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I love the UP. That's why I go snowmobiling. You can't have it. But why would they, and why does everybody, the whole world get so mad at these things? Because they know if you don't stand up to aggression, all hell will break loose. My point is not that we go around bombing people or shooting people as Christians. The point is sometimes you make peace by confronting things. A peacemaker is someone who just yields for the sake of finding peace. I tell couples this all the time. And some of you are very peaceful-oriented people. God bless you. Thank God the whole world didn't like me. We'd be in flames, all right? <laughs> but you guys were real peaceful and stuff like that. Here's the thing. If you don't get comfortable with conflict, you'll never have peace. Amen. If you don't, if you don't, <laughs> stay away from him. If you don't, <laughs> I just tease it. If, if, uh, if every time you and your husband or you and your wife start having an argument, you get quiet and just shut down, it's just a matter of time. All hell's going to break loose. You keep taking all your problems, you put it on the shelf, put it on the shelf, put it on the shelf. Eventually that shelf will get so heavy, it's going to break. And that's what happens. And a lot of people who go through this, they, their marriages fall apart because they hit a point and you can't fix it anymore because it's gotten so out of control. I get it, you want things to be peaceful, but you can't possibly get close to somebody without conflict. It's impossible. Now, if you're married to a very peaceful person, you can't go yelling and screaming at them. They can't handle it. But you're going to have to learn to suck it up, buttercup, and wrestle through your issues. Okay? That's how you get to peace. If you run from conflict all the time, you'll never get what you want, which is what? Peace. So it's not about peacekeeping. It's being a maker of peace. And sometimes you make peace by being rather intense. Jesus was pretty intense with people right? We've read the Gospels. I mean, he was in people's face. He wasn't this hippie walking around going, peace, everybody. All right? And do you realize that virtually every sermon you'll ever hear from any other preacher, other than probably me, from the Gospels is always something warm and fuzzy that Jesus said or did. You never hear them preach on the in-the-face stuff that he did to people. So that's why people get the sense that everything Jesus was just, whoa, no, he said some really strong, intense stuff. He was ticking off people all the time. The Bible says the disciples were afraid to ask him any questions. Now ask yourself, how intense would you have to be before people were afraid to talk to you? That's our Lord. You ask him, I ain't asking him nothing, man. He yelled at me last time I said something. You know, just... He was intense, but loving and compassionate at the same time. He was both. But this idea that the answer to everything is just to be quiet and lay back and just don't ruffle people's feathers is not healthy, and in the end, it never achieves peace. Make every effort. That means you got to make some effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We want peace. That needs to be the goal. 
And thank God everybody isn't like me. All right. There is one body, one spirit. Just as, oh, by the way. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll come to it later. <laughs> there is one, what time is it? How am I doing? Okay. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father all of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. One God. This is all about one thing that we're all doing together. As people of faith, we should have one heart, one mind, one purpose to see the kingdom of God advance and Christ glorified. That's our goal. We might argue and debate about how to get there as we make every effort to keep the bond of peace. But the reality is we're all on the same team, and this should be our goal to see this happen. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, what is he saying here? And he's going to talk a little bit more about this, is Paul was very conscious and talked a lot about the gifts of God that everybody has. And he really went out of his way to say, we don't all have the same gifts. There are things you can do that I cannot do. And you can really do it successfully. There's certainly gifts, the way you talk to people, the insights that you have, the abilities that you have. We all have different giftings and stuff. My strongest gifting is what I'm doing right now, talking to people. And the more the people, the more relaxed I am. My most relaxed environment is being in front of 5,000 people, all by myself on a stage. Most of you would die in such a scenario because people hate to be talking in public. I'm much more nervous around 10 people. It's true. I got around a small group. I got the, all right. All right, so it's what I do. Great, fine. But we can't all do that. We're all different. Everybody's different. And what Paul's saying, we're different intentionally. God did this on purpose. Even though we're one group, one goal, one vision, one purpose, we're all different, which is fascinating, right? See, that's why God is the most glorified when you get a bunch of people who aren't the same that we work together for the one goal, one purpose. That's the power of it. That's why we've always encouraged from the beginning with this church. We don't care where you come from. We don't care whether you got tattoos or no tattoos. We don't care if you're left, right, center, communist, whatever you are. At the end, we don't care. We don't get into politics. I tell you my opinion from time to time. It's just my opinion. But that's not germane to who we are and what we do. We don't care if you have a lot of money or little money. All right? Although we could use some more people with a lot of money. I'll tell you that. But anyway... <laughs> But it's not about that. You know, you see that oftentimes. A lot of churches have gotten caught up in this over the years. You, you got the poor church, and you got the inner city church, and you got the black church, and you got the white church, and you got the Hispanic church. I get where some of that comes from. Fine, blah, 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 blah. But at some point, I think the most powerful, because what people tend to do is birds of the same feather tend to flock together, right? And, uh, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not against that. You know, we're mostly Packer fans, you know. We have a hard time with bear fans. I got to tell you right now. No, I'm just teasing you. But I mean, the whole point is, I think God is the most glorified when we don't make issues of those things. Even doctrinally, there's people with some fundamental doctrines that are completely different than what I think. And we don't care. And I've told you, you know, some people believe in Calvinism. Some believe in Arminianism. Me, I just try to stay out of jail. All right? And, and, and people like to fight, but we don't fight about those things here. Why? Because it doesn't matter. What's the point? Now, to these people, eh, all that really matters. Well, those are people, they don't come to our church. They want to have a bunch of birds that are all of the same feather flocking around them. I think the most impressive thing is when we get a bunch of people who don't agree about all kinds of stuff. And we love each other. And we're different. And I can hug my 
son-in-law who's a Vikings fan. And all the stuff, and it doesn't really matter. So you, you have no idea how many families fight over stupid stuff like that, right? Honestly. So what he's saying, we're all different. We all have grace given to us as Christ apportioned. And grace, what he's talking about are these different abilities and things you can do that not everybody else can do. Uh, what you gotta do is kind of find out where you fit in. And if you don't know, uh, come talk to us and we'll help you try and find your place. Uh, he says, that's why it, is, it says, and he quotes from the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. He's talking about Jesus. When he ascended on high, and then he started giving gifts by the, by the Holy Spirit to people. Uh, and he points that out in parentheses here. He says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? When did that happen? When Jesus died on the cross. And as we say, we believe that he was crucified, buried, and went to the realm of the dead, where he proclaimed salvation to those who were waiting. Um, he descended, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole universe. So all this he's talking about is Jesus. So Christ himself gave, and he starts talking about some of the different gifts in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And there's people who will spend weeks teaching on just those five things called the fivefold ministry and stuff. I don't, I don't think that's the point of what he's talking about. The point is the next part of the sentence. He gave all these things, why? To equip his people for works of service. That's the point, okay? Whether you're an apostle, prophet, whatever, and you're anything in between, the whole point is, as Luther said, to love people, to serve our fellow man, to show the kindness and love of God and love of Christ. We should be living out what he put inside of us is the point. That's why God gives us all these different gifts, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants. What is he talking about? Spiritual infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow up, grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We're supposed to be a mature body of believers and not just a bunch of infants that are constantly being tossed all over the place uh, by all kinds of crazy things. And I got to tell you, I, I was so impressed by the last series of things that, that happened, uh, you know, like with the... Uh, what do you call it, the eclipse, and these tornadoes and stuff. Usually I'll get some people saying, is the world coming to an end? I heard somebody on radio say the world's coming to an end. I read a book, the Christ is coming at three o'clock on Thursday. And, and, uh, you, know, and you gotta just stop, stop. Quit, what you, listen to this crazy stuff. You know, always looking for some weird thing. And I thank God I didn't hear a single thing from any of you. God be praised. That means we're getting mature. We're not being blown away all over the place by crazy people who come up with crazy ideas because you know the Bible, all right? And what does Jesus say? No one will know the day or the hour when I'll return. Anybody who comes along and tells you they know the day and the hour is a nitwit wrapped up in a moron. <laughs> stay away from them. Just stay away from them. They're crazy people. Usually wanted to sell a book or something to tell you what time Jesus is going to show up. And then, of course, they always go past the date, and then they come up with a second book, say, oh, I was off a little bit, now I got the real answer. So you can buy more stupid books. 
they become millionaires and you are all jacked up. Everybody all freaking out. Whoa, what about this? The world's coming to an <laughs> You remember, was it y- Y2K? Was that what that was called? You know, the world's going to come to the end when we hit the year 2000. Because airplanes were going to fall out of the sky. Really? All the ignorant things. I was an, I'm a pilot. That's not what makes people, planes fly. <laughs> There's not a little computer that goes, oh, I'm confused, let's crash. You know, that's not the way it works. <laughs> Such nonsense. People, pastor, are you saving up and getting all this food and starting? No. Well, what if you can do it? It's not going to be any more food. Come into your house. <laughs> what are you going to do, shoot me? I love this, the love of Christ. I'm going to save up a bunch of food and shoot people that can't try and get the food for me. Think it through. Even if you store up a bunch of food, you're going to wind up giving it to your neighbors anyway. Right? No, not to these psychos. No, 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 no. I'm going to save it for my family. Really? You think that's the love of God? I don't think so. Just don't go crazy in building shelters. and. <sighs> anyway, move on. From him, this body, the whole body, Joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the point. If we'll all do our part, are you doing your part? That's what we all got to ask each other. I got to ask myself, am I doing my part? Am I really doing my part? Am I being the best me I can be? Can I take the best gifts that God's given me and use them to the best of my ability? They're different than everybody else's gifts. And don't feel bad that you can't do what somebody else does. I never feel bad about stuff like that. I just don't. I'm acutely aware of my shortcomings. You have no idea. Say, what do you do about them? Nothing. I don't. I learned a long time ago. Don't work and focus on your weaknesses. Not if you're running over people with cars and stuff, you ought to stop stuff like that. You know, some weakness is a little obvious. You got to stop, all right? But you know what I'm talking about, those little quirks that you got, you spend all this time. Man, just work on your strengths. Take your best abilities and make them better. And don't worry about all the other. And trust God that others will help you. You know, I tend to surround myself with organized people. Because I'm a disaster. <laughs> now, I suppose I could go to classes to learn how to be more organized and sit and go to classes online, learn about organization and stuff. You know what? It'll never work. <laughs> and at some point, you just figure, stop. Let me just do what I do really well. So I got people who tell me what to do because I don't know what's going on. You have no idea how many times I've gone into the airport here in Green Bay. Walked through the car, they all know me because I live there half the time. I say, where are you going today? And I go, I have no idea. What does it say? You're going to Ohio. Okay, that's where I'm going. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So you notice he starts out saying how we should be. All right? Be gentle. Be humble. Be patient. Bear with people. Walk in love. Use the gifts God's given you. Da-da-da-da. Now he flips the other side. Stay away from 
the dark side, all right? There's stuff that you may not understand. There's things that you might struggle with in your faith and growing and stuff. And then there's just in your face, obvious stuff, like I said, running over people with cars. You know, you know there's stuff you shouldn't do. And that shouldn't be even a debate, debate among Christians. What is shocking to me is how many Christians debate this. We live in a world today that, does, you talk about sensuality, people are just totally given to their sensuality. Any kind of sexual urge, this and that, oh, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> really? These are people, they don't pay attention to the Bible. They claim to be Christians. I don't know. I don't get it. Not only are they given to sensuality, they're full of greed. Money, money, money. Money. Everything about money. And I have more money and I need more money because I need a lot of my money. I love my money. My precious, my little precious. You can have my precious. Christian parents who act like this, then they insist that their kids act the same way. And they're obsessed about them going to college and making lots of money, 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 money. You can't do anything in your life till you got money. Stop. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I get it, money is important. Nobody likes to not have money. I have had money in my life and I've had no money in my life. I prefer the money. I'm a big fan, I gotta tell you. I hate being broke. But I'm not obsessed by it. And I'm not consumed by it. And not telling my kids to be consumed by it. Make all this money. And that's why people are so obsessed by their money. That's why a lot, most, most, I'm not gonna say a lot, most, the vast majority of people in our own church don't tithe. What's our number? 7%, 8%, whatever it is, you know. Really? Yeah. What do you do? You just keep encouraging them. You know, I'm not going to yell at you about it, although I just yelled at you about it. Uh, you know, they're just going to have everything, and they consume everything they have, and if they get a raise, they don't become more generous. They just buy more junk. And now they're more in debt than they had when they were broke. There's people who make $100,000 a day who have less than when they were making 40. Because when they were making 40, they were smart about it. Now they got the hunter, get a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger boat, big bowl of crap. Let's get the biggest bowl of crap we can find and put it on a credit card. This is my crap card right here. I can get any crap I want. Just pull this right out right here so I can get it. And these people, they keep jacking up the credit limits. So you see that? I think I could buy a house with my credit cards. What are you? Your credit limit is $40,000. Really? Who does that? A lot of people do that. You know what credit card companies call people like me? What's the word? There's a word for it. Deadbeats. That's it, deadbeats. They call me deadbeat because I pay off my credit card every month. They hate guys like me. Oh, stupid deadbeats. What they love is you guys who make your minimum payments. They love you. Because <laughs> you're a slave to them. Always remember, there's slavery. You think we got rid of slavery 100 years ago? Check again. Slavery's always there. It's been in the heart of man since Joseph's brother sold him off to a bunch of Egyptians, whatever he did. They want you to be, it's just that the master has changed. Now there's master car. Yes, master. Whatever you say, master. I serve you, master. Master, master, master. What am I talking about? I don't even know how I got there. <laughs> oh, being full of greed. 
Don't be, don't be full of greed. It's great people have money. I pray, I pray for you guys all the time. I hope you guys become extremely financially successful. I do. Some of you running your businesses and stuff, you're still young, you're still new to it. I hope you do so well. You don't know what to do with all the money. I mean that sincerely. Because we actually need people, and I'm not kidding, who are doing really well financially because these are the people who help advance the kingdom of God. There are people who write some really big checks in this church. These people, but because they can. They've been faithful. God has blessed them. They're successful at what they do. I want to see hundreds of them. I do. Not for my own sake. I take care of myself. I'm fine. But that, so the kingdom of God can be blessed and we can do more and touch more people's lives and help more orphans and do more outreaches and go to more prisons and do all the things. And instead of being on two TV stations, we're on all of them in Wisconsin. We're bothering everybody. I want billboards all over the city of Green Bay. All over Stevens Point. Everybody turn around, there's me looking at them. <laughs> Go to church. Don't be a slacker. But we can't do that without money. And a lot of people just don't have much money because they've been caught up spending every penny they have. And it's a trap. It's a trap. Not that you're evil. I don't think you're evil. It's just a trap. This is a trap. He's all he warns. He warns us about these things. Let's take heed. All right? So, what does the world do? They're into sensuality, sexually freedom. They do anything and everything and full of greed. That, however, he says in verse 20, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, that old part of you which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's been several months. What time am I supposed to shut up? About quarter two. I'm three minutes over. All right, we'll, we'll come back. We'll pick up on this verse. I want to talk a little bit about this. I thought I'd get around to the Martin Luther thing. I'll have to do that next week. Because wait till you see this guy. He's hilarious. Okay. So anyway, we'll pick it up from there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the challenges of your word. Help us to grow, Lord. The purpose of the word isn't to beat us down, condemn us, make us feel awful. The purpose is to challenge us, lift us up, look higher, raise higher, trust God for more things. Help us to be more like you. Hard to do when we don't know what that is supposed to look like. In your word, we see what that's supposed to look like. Help us to make the adjustments as Paul talks about what to do and what to avoid. Help us to do and avoid the same things we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you later.